Aloha and welcome to the Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph will begin a new message entitled Holy Spirit Peace. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Now, here's Pastor Ralph. As we get into the message, we're talking about being brought near to God and near to each other by the blood of Christ. And as, as, as we get into this, it, it, Paul is, is writing from a position, he almost like speaks as if he is one of the sort of uneducated Jewish people who have become a Christian and still believe that non-Jewish people are somehow less than they are. And Paul doesn't believe that himself. He used to. Uh, in, 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 the, in the world 2,000 years ago, in Palestine, there were only two kinds of people. There were Jewish people and there were Gentiles, non-Jewish people. It didn't matter if you're from Ireland or you're from Africa, you're a Gentile. And in fact, in that world, because the Jews made such a big deal of circumcision, and you all understand what circumcision is all about, and, and it, was, it, was a, it was a thing that God asked Abraham to do, and they made it their badge of honor, uh, that, that they, they were referred to in a sneering way by the non-Jewish people as the circumcised. But the Jewish people would talk about any non-Jewish person as the uncircumcised. And, and they were prideful over it. You know, Jesus talks about a, a, a religious person who's so wrapped up in his religion that he goes to the temple and he prays, thank God that I'm not like that other person. And then he talks about that other person who's over there praying, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what it all brings into my mind is the phoniness of religion. You know, Paul talks about circumcision being something that affects the outward person but it can't affect the heart. There's a, there's a prayer that some archaeologists dug up that somebody wrote in the first century. And, and, and you know, circumcision is, is not only a Jewish thing, it's a, a male thing, right? And there's a prayer some guy had written, Oh God, thank you for not making me a Gentile. And then he amends it with, Oh God, thank you for not making me a woman. And, and you see... Can I say the word, the stupid attitude that comes along with prejudice of every kind? The Apostle Paul, interestingly enough, never went really head-on at racism. He never went head-on at slavery. He never went head-on at male chauvinism. He always went in and undercut the spiritual roots of the thing. And ultimately, uh, it, was, it was the spiritual movement that would that would drive the civil rights movement in the 1960s. It was, it was Christians. It's Christians that are driving the anti-abortion debate. It's Christians that were driving the abolitionist movement in the, 19, uh, in the 1850s. And as, as you see this whole thing, you realize the roots of all this are in the things that Paul said. But, but, but the real roots, the deep, 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 deep down roots are, he's trying to get Get off your prejudice. Get off of whatever it is that causes you to somehow feel superior to others or feel superior in God's sight and get serious about a broken heart 
before God. You know, if, if you are relying on, I mean, the, the things that we do yesterday, it was, it was so interesting. I watched the baptism. My granddaughter got baptized. And do you know that there are, there are, there are whole movements of Christians that, that are built on this is the way the, the baptized people and, and, they're, and they're arrogant about it. You know, we dunk them. Now we sprinkle them. And uh, yesterday I was watching these little kids get baptized and, and the ones that were dunkable got dunked. And the ones that were afraid of the water got sprinkled. You know, they put them in the tank with everybody else and then they sprinkled water over their head. And who cares? The point is that in baptism, what we're doing is entering into Christ's death and we're identifying with his resurrection. And, and so you can have this plastic church deal going on and, and, and you can call it Hope Chapel. And you're relying on a system. You're relying on a program. You're relying on a, a location. You're relying on anything and everything but the reality of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is attacking that as he's going at Jewish people who look down on Gentile people who weren't Christians. But then he comes to the Gentiles and he says, now, you, you've come past all of this and you've come into a relationship with Christ and here's what it's got you. So having said all that, let's read the scripture. Don't forget that you Gentiles, all of us probably, used to be outsiders by birth. Now, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, the truth is you're an outsider to the family of God by birth because the Bible says we were born into sin. We were born into a, a, a tendency to turn our back on God and say, I'm doing my own thing. I'm going to live my own life my own way. You were called the uncircumcised ones by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it, like every other religious deed, affected only their bodies and not their hearts. You know, I know people who read their Bible and pray every day and hate their neighbor or read their Bible and pray every day and hate their spouse. Somebody just told me this morning a tragic story of somebody that used to be really involved in our church and he told his friend yesterday, I want a divorce. And the friend jumped on him about God hates divorce. Yeah, I know that, but. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that guy doesn't love God very much. It's not real in his heart. If he's willing to, 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 to just throw over his wife for no reason other than that he's tired of her. Or he's got pride in his heart. I heard another story about a couple of people there on the war path against each other. And all it is is a pride issue. Pride, 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 pride. And when you come to them about the Lord, they go, yeah, but. And they just blow God off. Well, then I, I'm going to go. What, what you say is your faith hasn't affected your heart. It's nothing but plastic religion. Get serious. Get real. I was with a couple the other day, and my advice to them is, if you want your marriage to last, because they're thinking about it, then you, you take that person off the pedestal, and you put God on the pedestal. If, if I can say I love God more than I love my wife, then my chances of staying married are really good. But if I love my wife more than I love God, at some point I'm going to get angry, some point I'm going to get tired. At some point she's going to get middle-aged and there's going to be some cuter, younger chick, you know. And, I, and it all goes, but if I've got God on the throne and I'm willing to stay 
in submission to him that I'm in a position where my marriage can and will work. Am I making sense? Well, we're just getting into this, and it's pretty good already. It says, you were called uncircumcised ones by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their, he- their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from God's people, Israel, and you did not know the promises God had made to them. Now, here's an interesting thing. If you look at the book of Romans, in chapter 9, it says, we who are Christians have been grafted into the We're like wild olive branches that have been grafted into the olive tree. That's the illustration he uses. That was Israel. And the promises that God made to Abraham, who was a man of faith, not a man of religion, those promises come to all of us who come to God by faith, not by religion. And so it says, you before were excluded and ignorant of the promises that God had made to these people. Now we have those promises. It says, you lived in the world without God and without hope. And I'm here to tell you that if you're without God, you're without hope. You know, about 18 months ago, a very nice thing happened to me. I had an anxiety attack that literally cut me off at the ankles. I mean, I went through two days of, I I couldn't sleep at all. All I could do was spin the same five problems around in my mind. And they weren't even that big of problems. But they overwhelmed me. And uh, I went to the doctor and, and they gave me a couple of little pills to take and I started to feel normal. And as soon as I could start to feel normal, I began to really take another look and realize where I had cut out the spiritual ground under my feet. And I, I think it's in two places. One, I had unforgiveness against somebody who truly had wronged me. And it wasn't getting any better. And I began to blame God for it. And so I lost faith in God. Secondly, I'd struggled with where we were going as a church and I was looking in the wrong places. I was reading all kinds of, and there's nothing wrong with reading business books or leadership books, but if it's about all you're reading, there's something wrong with you. And that's where I'd gotten. And I read really fast. I've been, I took two speed reading courses in my life and both times I went into the class, the fastest reader, and in the class, I came out the fastest reader. And, I, and it's almost obscene. I can read books so fast that I can sit there and tell you everything that's in them. But then I'm going to forget them next week because I read four more. And, uh, and, and so I was driving my staff crazy uh, coming to work with a new wonderful idea a week. And it was all what I would call Christian humanism. I'd come to a place where... I'm, I'm putting everything in Christian vernacular, but I'm really relying on, on, on human ability. And I got knocked flat on my rear, and it was a good thing because it caused me to, to take inventory of my life. Here's what I've found out in the, in the year since. I ran into some statistics that said the number one treated problem in America by doctors, uh, by psychiatrists, by MDs, is anxiety. You know what number two is? Depression. Depression. Anxiety and depression are the besetting illnesses of our society. Now what what had happened to me is I had begun as a pastor, though I loved the Lord, I had begun to approximate what it says here about living apart from the Lord 
and being without God and without hope. And as I begin to come out of this, a friend of mine, Ed Silvoso, counseled me and he said, he quoted the scripture in 2 Corinthians that says that we are tearing down Satan's strongholds, places in our mind where Satan has got control of our thinking. Fear, anxiety, you know, lust, anger, rage, violence. And we're tearing down every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And, and Ed said, I believe every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God is, is, is actually talking about self-reliance. You know, if you read C.S. Lewis, if you, if you read the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Lewis was a friend of J.R.R. Tolkien that wrote The Lord of the Rings. And, and, and he wrote some really incredible fairy tales that are sort of like Lord of the Rings. We have them here. And he, he wrote another science fiction trilogy, three books. In both the end of both of those books, he, goes, he, he identifies academia as one of the major problems in our civilization. And now this is a man who's, who's a professor at both Oxford and Cambridge University in England. I mean, the top schools in the world. And, and he says it's academic pride that Satan will use to overcome the world in the last days. And, and he talks about this whole thing about getting puffed up with self-knowledge and self-aggrandizement because of knowledge. And what he's really talking about ultimately is self-reliance. And as we become reliant on self, that's really what sin is all about. And when it, when, when, when it, 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 it it starts out, it seems to work. I can get this done. I can do this. I can cover all of these bases. You know, I talked to a man the other day who's, who's, who's involved, and he's a Christian man, and, and he works for a Christian company, and right now they're buying five radio stations at the same time in Honolulu and reformatting them. You're going to hear stuff coming out that you never thought you were going to hear. And, and so you, not only are you having to negotiate all of these deals that in terms of purchase, you're having to negotiate deals in terms of staffing, in terms of vision for a whole new format for five different stations. He's doing all this stuff and he's just like this. And he's gone, what it's done is it's, he heard this message on Friday night. He doesn't go to our church. He goes, it's driven me back to the Lord. I've come to the place where I realize I, I very quickly am at the end of my rope. I don't have it. And without God, you're going to come to the end of the rope and you're going to end up in depression. You're going to end up in despair. You're going to end up in anxiety. And, and he talks here about coming back to the Lord and finding God and finding hope. Verse 13, he says, Now you belong to Jesus Christ, or to Christ Jesus, Remember we talked about when it says Christ Jesus, it's talking about the Lordship and we surrender to him. And it says, though you were once far away from God, now you have been brought near to him by the, what's it say? Blood of Christ, blood of Christ. Here's another scripture reference, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It's seven verses up from where we're reading or something like that. Read verse 6 with me. It says, for God raised us from the dead along with Christ and we are seated with him in the heavenly realms all because we are one with Christ Jesus. 
We have become one with Christ Jesus by being baptized into his death. This is why water baptism is important. And as we have been joined with Christ, the Bible says that we are seated together with Christ in the heavenly realms. Now, if your understanding of heaven is that it's nine million miles away, you look at this verse in a figurative way and you think that someday I'm going to be seated with Christ in the heavenlies. But that's not what it says. It says you are currently seated with Christ in the heavenlies. The verse we were just reading in the passage that we're studying today says we've been brought near to Christ, to God through Christ. How near? Well, it says that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father right now in the heavenly realm. What is the heavenly realm? The heavenly dimension. And from everything I'm getting out of science, you know, they're saying that there, there are multiple universes occupying the same place. And it suddenly starts to line up with what the Bible has said, is that there's a spirit world and we're in it, although we can only see the physical dimensions of it. And we are with Christ, we are united with Christ, and we've been brought near to God. And this is why we can pray, and we can pray effectively, and, and, our, and our prayers do change things. The Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. And, and, and no power that we have, all power that he has, but we're near to him, and he hears us. And all, it's all because we've been brought near because of the blood of Christ. Now, the picture that you see on the screen behind me comes out of the, book, the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And if you saw the movie... Uh, just one thing you need to know is it was probably a little overdone. Uh, Jesus was, 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 according to the scriptures, only, only whipped like 39 times because ancient Roman law would only allow them to do that. If you beat a man 40 times, he was declared legally dead. You could never crucify him. And so when you saw Jesus getting whipped three or 400 times in the movie, that was probably a little overdrawn. But 39 of those things would cripple a person. It'd tear enough flesh away because of the metal in the whip that a person wouldn't ever walk again after a beating like that. It was, it was a tragedy, horrible thing. As you watch the movie, if you were a Christian, you had all of these feelings of, of anguish and a sense of, of the price that the Lord paid for you. If you were a non-Christian and you believed any of the gospel at all, then you had a, a thought there, you got a message out of it, that, that, that God went to this extreme measure and it drew you nearer to God. But you could sit through that movie and you could watch the whole thing and you could be cynical and you could say, this is just, just an expression of the nonsensical, uh, stupid, historic religious tradition that gained, gained great power in the Middle Ages before science came along. And, and people have just fallen to prey to the nonsense ever since. There are people who thought that. Am I right? But here's the deal. You're sitting next to somebody whose life was radically transformed at the point that they said, I believe that this act was really an act of God and through this act, God made it possible for me to be forgiven for everything I've done wrong in my life. And at the moment that that person believed that and embraced it as their own, then something happened to them. They 
were transformed in their character. Now, you, you know, we've, we've all seen it. We've, we've prayed with people who, who were, were addicted to hard drugs and in a flash were not addicted to drugs anymore because they prayed except for the Lord. But we've also seen, and I can't explain why, people who are addicted to the same drug except the Lord and they're not delivered from the drug but what they are delivered from is the desire to do the drug. And so now you got one cocaine addict that suddenly is set free. You got another cocaine addict who's not set free, but he certainly doesn't want to do it anymore. Something happened inside of him. You have one angry, violent person that just becomes as gentle as a lamb in a moment. You know, there's a man in our church that's, 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 a, that's a, one of the most loving men that I know. And when you know his story, and someday I want him to tell it, he, he, he used to go on raids in Vietnam because he loved the sport of it. If there were guys that were getting short and they were supposed to go home in a few days and they'd get superstitious, I'm going to get killed on my last day in Vietnam, he'd volunteer to take their place. Because he loved it. He's the most gentle man. Yeah, I, I'm almost telling who he is by saying those words. He's the most gentle man in this church. God transformed him. There are others that, that they, they still struggle with the anger. But they got this heart that says, I don't want to do this anymore. Now, now what happened? Well, they were born again. So the Bible says they were adopted into God's family. They have a new nature. Something happened in them. And it all centers on the blood of Christ. Now, how does all this work? Well, I don't know. I've only been a Christian for 53 years. I don't know. I know in the Old Testament, there was, there was, there was, there was, there was prophetic action that described what Christ would do on the cross. There was the Passover lamb that was, that was slain. Everybody puts their hand on the head of this little lamb and then they slaughter the lamb and they barbecue it. And the idea is our sin is being transformed to the lamb. And the Bible calls Jesus the Passover lamb who died for the sins of the world. It was a prophetic action looking forward to Jesus. People were putting their faith in God to forgive their sin. There was the, 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 the atonement every year where they would go to the Ark of the Covenant. Remember Indiana Jones? The Ark was there and, and they, would, they would go and there's a thing, a little basin called the mercy seat on the Ark. And in the Ark, in the box, was the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses. And none of us can keep the Ten Commandments. So the, the, the law accuses us and condemns us. And, but they would come and they would sprinkle blood as a, a covering. A covering what? It covers the law and it protects us from the law. And by faith in God, we are somehow forgiven of our sins. There's this word mystery. There's the mystery of godliness. There's the mystery of what Christ did for us on the cross. How does it work? What's the mechanics? I don't know. I can give you a lot of theology, but I don't know the mechanics. All I know is is that I'm looking at a room of people, most of whom will tell you my life was radically transformed one day 
because I put my faith in what God did through Christ on that cross. And it's changed my family. It's changed my outlook. It's, it, it, it's made me, uh, I, I'm, I'm way better off financially. I mean, one of, the, one of the problems that you have with missions is you go into third world countries and, and people who, who have no ambition to do much of anything or doing drugs or doing alcohol or sitting around the, the Kava Bowl in the South Pacific and they get saved and they stop doing that stuff. And, and suddenly, as a, a generation later, they're so well off financially that they're unable to communicate the gospel to the people that they used to hang out with and, 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 and so there's this problem of this, this uh, sociological lift that comes along with the gospel that makes us have to keep starting new generations of church to reach the people who are without the Lord and without hope. So there's a transformation that comes because we've been brought near to God. Is that getting anywhere? You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 